This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 24th of November 2021 at home in Wicklow. And in it, I discuss ideas of leadership, leadership, good and bad. And that's leadership in a context of social unrest and in a context of extreme um extreme behavior and extreme acts of personal protest or personal crisis which result in the taking of lives um so the episode was partially inspired by or provoked by the events in the united states uh, a few days ago where a driver crashed into a christmas parade in uh, in milwaukee um in Waukesha in Milwaukee and it just got me thinking about what the perpetrators of those acts what they have gone through to get to that point where they feel that's the best available choice to them and I think leadership has a large role to play in helping people in that situation or in compounding their circumstances or their world view so that's uh yeah that's the main kind of area of discussion um the idea of proportionality is in there as well um in terms of like the extremity of the of these acts uh this kind of this version of acting out one's um rage or hurt or one's sense of frustration the if that's the extreme acting out i I discuss how if we swing in the other way to where that pain originated or the depth of that wound or the depth of that hurt or the depth of that sense of disempowerment or disenfranchisement, that's uh, that's really in the mix as well. Um, yeah, and so uh, that's, that's what's coming up. There is, as always, a movie reference uh, that ties in with the overall theme, uh, which I think you'll uh, enjoy hearing about. I forgot to mention it in the episode, so I'll quickly do it here. If you want to show this podcast some love via a little bit of funding, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash the clear out. Or you can also use the supporter link, uh, both of which you'll find in the description for this episode, wherever you are listening Feel free to shout out on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Uh, Spread the love, spread the word. Um, If you're enjoying the podcast, yeah, feel free to to recruit some listeners uh, on my behalf. Thanks very much indeed. Okay, let's get on with it. Uh, I'll see you there. Cheers. Not gonna change my mind Leaving the dream Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. How are you today? How's it going? Take a beat. Take a beat there. Just take a pause. Check in with yourself. Check your pulse. And I don't mean your heartbeat. I'm talking about where your head's at. Where your heart's at emotionally, psychologically. What's going on? Bring that energy back in. Give yourself a moment of presence. So, let's do it. 
Let's go. Let's go on this journey. I don't know where I'm going, but you're coming with me. <laughs> That's the worst. I used to hate that. I used to hate that when I was a kid. You know, you, just not having the choice, having to go with your parents, you know, to a friend's house or uh, as often was the case in my youth, you know, to the pub. And I am by no means unique in this regard as an Irish child growing up in the uh, 70s and 80s. Um, the pub, the pub was the hub. If um, if your family was a drinking family and mine was. And I used to, at a certain point, at a certain point, I used to just dread the sort of helplessness of having to go and not knowing when I'd be leaving <laughs> and just feeling that I'm stuck there's no exit strategy and it's primed it's it's um it's programmed in me still I uh, I have a real gut aversion to not having an exit strategy not having an exit plan not knowing where the door out is I don't like being stuck in a place which is ironic, I think my wife would say, because she's like, you don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's it. When I, find, when, I, when I find a place I like, I ain't for moving. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a range. There's a range in there. Um, so yeah, anyway, that, um, I want you to hang on to that idea of there's no, uh, you know, there's no way out. There isn't a doorway out. That's going to play in very centrally to the the theme of today's episode. And I want to ask you to stick that in the memory bank when it comes to dropping in the movie reference uh, that I have this week that ties in with the theme. Um, yeah, so there you go. That's something to uh, just anticipate a little bit of suspense where is he going where is he going with the door the door the way out before i sat down to record here or before i pressed record my little um hashtag blessed recording studio i.e my laptop and a plug-in <laughs> microphone i was rifling through my wife's drawers and that's not a euphemism um <laughs> The, the little home office that my wife and I share, which I use for my recording purposes. I use it for the podcast, obviously, and I also use it to record the content that I produce for Aura, the meditation and sleep app that I create stuff for. Um, aura. Feel my aura. Um, I'm going to cough. Hold on a second. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Um, I recorded a couple of nice stories last week. I did a I did a nice version of the legend of Finn McCool and the Salmon of Knowledge. I refamiliarized myself with it and jotted down the main story beats and then just recorded it. I put that up on Aura. It just went live uh, in the last twenty four hours. It's quite a nice one. I I found out much more about that story. I didn't realize the whole kind of background and the doomed. Um, partnership of Finn McCool's parents you know classic old feuding families and tribes at war stuff loved it anyway 
and I also put up another another uh, another nice story about a little leaf a little leaf on a tree that just doesn't want to let go when winter comes knocking um so you can probably you can probably uh, pick out the uh, the mental health message from that one we all have to let go okay yeah, we can't we can't fix things in aspic we can't uh, pour nectar all over ourselves like some fossilized ancient mosquito. Uh, we have to we have to let go and move on to the next moment. But uh, in any case, the the home the home office it's it's primarily set up for my my wife's um, uh, working from home needs, and her all her musical equipment is in here, and she's in the process of setting up her own music therapy practice, which is very exciting. Um, she received her bank card this week with her business uh, for her business account for the the music therapy business so i'll keep you posted on that there's no point in me telling you when it's not live and ready to rock but hopefully that's going to happen in the next couple of months um so anyway it's her desk that she bought for the home office and there's three lovely tidy little perfectly sliding doors in that sliding drawers excuse me in that desk and I went looking through them. What was I looking for? What was I looking for? I know that's the question. I was looking for moisturizer. That's right, kids. Moisturizer. Why was I looking for moisturizer? Because I like to take care of my hands. It's important that they feel soft and smooth. Uh, that's not really the reason. The reason is the I just had a delivery of oil. We ran out of oil and I went to put on the heat last night, uh, primarily for the hot water. We can light the stove and it's lovely and toasty, but I put on the, the heating and <laughs> sent my daughter down to have her shower an hour later. So she's running around the house in the nude and I stepped out into the uh, <laughs> into the kind of the, the TV room um, where there isn't a stove lit and I was like, my God, it's freezing and realized that yeah we were out of oil uh on i think what was probably the coldest night of the year so far well certainly the coldest night of this season and yeah there was no hot water to be had so had oil delivered this morning and because i'd had the heating on i had to bleed the boiler man's stuff so thank god for youtube because i learned how to do this the last time we ran out of oil and I found a nice little YouTube video that told me exactly what I needed to do because I'm going to confess I'm not that handy in that department. Anything to do with mechanics, engines, devices, I, I just kind of step slowly away from those situations. More rudimentary man stuff like chopping logs and digging holes and knocking down walls. Real basic caveman stuff. I'm good to go. Uh... I'll swing an axe for you all day long, no problem. But um, don't ask me to uh, work out which part goes where and what that does and what happens when that thing, you know, interacts with that thing. N not so good in that area. So anyway, uh, in the bleeding of the boiler, I got a lovely spray of kerosene all over my hands. And... Um, I had to repeat the process a couple of times before the, the boiler started functioning again. And I went to wash my hands and I realized that this lovely sort of red, it's gone now, but it was like a red uh, kerosene burn um, 
just kind of at the base of my my thumb and index finger and it's like okay so wash the old hands and the hands were still reeking of kerosene so you know you just know that that's what toxic stuff does it just gets in no matter what you do and then you've got that kind of burny uh, <laughs> feeling on your hands so that's why i was looking for the moisturizer but there was none there so i'll be having words i'll be having words with my wife later why don't you keep some nice moisturizer in your drawers for me for my hands okay i'll, uh, I'll report back on that i probably won't i'll probably i'll probably forget that's a more likely outcome Anyway, what I want to talk to today, talk to, talk about, speak to, I hear that a lot. Well, to speak to, uh, to speak to Michael's point, um, yes, speaking to, well, to speak further to what David said, it's amazing how these little phrases just suddenly kind of come into the, into, into the, you know, the everyday parlance, particularly in, in public domains, um, speak to, anyway, whatever. What I'd like to speak about today, and I did kind of, I did touch on this area in episode 21, so about six or seven episodes ago um, in mid-October, when I was speaking about shadows and light, um, and I did talk a little bit about proportional responses in that episode of the podcast, and I think the general thrust that day for me was to try and avoid catastrophizing and wigging out and having a disproportionate response to you know to a crisis um and to try and keep things in perspective so as as a general as a general sort of mental health strategy or tool it's to try and keep a sense of perspective and try and keep a sense of consequences and yeah to not as I say, to not sort of catastrophize and to not then go on that, you know, either upward spiral towards anxiety or the downward spiral towards depression um, uh, and to let it escalate in unhealthy and unhelpful ways. Uh, So that was, as I say, that was like episode 21, which I think was called Walking in the Shadow and Keeping Her Light. Keep her light, lads keep her light take her handy keep her light um but today i was just thinking and this 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 stream of thought was provoked prompted uh triggered by um this incident in the in the states just a few days ago when that driver drove into a christmas parade in um is it waukesha in in milwaukee milwaukee wisconsin yeah Waukesha, a Christmas parade was happening, a driver drove in and there have been uh, several deaths and many injured. And it just, you know, my initial response was sort of not again. These these crashes, these truck attacks, car attacks, SUV attacks, um, just to add to the other, um, you know, the, you know, the various other kind of public um you know atrocities terrorist attacks um outbreaks lash outs whatever you want to call them that you know typically involve somebody you know people dying typically involve the perpetrator 
um, you know, being shot by security forces, police, or being taken to, you know, you know, being handed down a prison sentence, whatever. I mean, there's been quite a few of these in, in recent years. Um, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to think. I know there are, you know, and it's not just in the USA, incidentally. And I, I, I I'm going to speak to that in a second. Um, but of course, there was uh, a Christmas a Christmas market was a Christmas market in Berlin in 2016 was crashed into as well uh, there was the truck attack in Nice on Bastille Day in the same year 2016 um, and of course there was the Charlottesville car attack in the States um, you know it's the specific nature of the attack is it's kind of secondary in a way. I mean, the car driving into crowds. I mean, it happened in Dublin a few years ago, I think. Somebody drove their car down one of the very busy pedestrianised streets in Dublin, um, in, in Henry Street, if I if I recall correctly. I was in still living in Melbourne at the time. But uh, I have a I do have a memory of that. So you know, it's it's not a it's not it's not specific to any one location, any one country, any one culture. Um, and it does, but it does seem that it is more and more common in these times. And if these times are times, uh, that you could describe as fractious times, uh, that we could describe as being sort of anxiety ridden times of uncertainty, times of extreme stress, social stress uh social and political stress social and political disharmony unrest we put on top of that the 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 pressure um of the pandemic the various restrictions that we've been living under the unknowability of outcomes that we've been living with in terms of the coronavirus and its variants, how that's impacted us socially, how it's impacted us interpersonally, how it's impacted us uh, in terms of work, career, home life, public life. I mean, every every which way, what it's done to sort of economies. Um, being in Ireland, you'd throw into the mix the sort of, you know, you can throw Brexit in there as well um, and the kind of emergence of some very peculiar, in my opinion, wrong-headed populism um, in in the UK, certainly amongst the sort of Tories and Conservatives uh, in in England. These are unhappy times. They're not, this is not a, this is not a breezy, cruisy time to be alive and there are so many agitative and provocative and I feel disingenuous um, agents and actors out there constantly stirring things up and dividing people and, you know... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Not fanaticizing, but um, oh, you know the one I mean. I've just gone blank. Some instant brain fog descending. Um, extremify, fanaticize. What is that word? Uh, 
it'll come back to me. Um, but but you know what I mean. When someone gets so fired up and so um, provoked to an extreme um, viewpoint that it becomes not just a sit at home emotional or psychological state but it becomes I'm leaving my house now to do something extreme state I'm leaving my house now with a gun I'm leaving my house now to get in my car to commit an extreme act um radicalize that's the word I was looking for bloody hell radicalize it's not and I guess it's not all I mean and this is the thing this is what I was going to say you know we say radicalize and we I believe, you know, we, we hear that word radicalize and it, it falls into a certain context. And you think of groups like, you know, the Islamic State, ISIS, and radicalizing disenfranchised Muslims, uh, disenfranchised, often young Muslim men in various parts of the world who go, right, this is going to be my response to this. Um, and it becomes, you know, it's sort of, it's, you know, radicalized becomes a sort of a, a politicized word. And in a way, it allows us to put it in a certain place that feels less close to us. Um, oh, well, you know, of course, you know, that, that community, they'd be vulnerable to being radicalized and vulnerable to those messages. And uh, there's a, you know, there's a legacy and it's connected to a certain fundamentalist viewpoint and a desire to destroy one's enemies and to proselytize and blah blah blah, and we can go. Oh well, that well, that, that wouldn't happen to me. That's that's you know that's a, that's a very particular scenario. Um, and similarly, referring back to the the Christmas parade uh, tragedy in Waukesha uh, that began this 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 train of thought, I often find. And I have found over the years, and particularly, um, you know, living in Ireland and for a while living in England back in back in the day, and my ten years in Australia, I think a lot of us who don't live in the USA, who don't live in the states, we can have that kind of knee jerk, um, that knee jerk reaction of ah, you know, crazy America. You know the crazy U.S. of A. The 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 hyper jingoism, the 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 hyper gun culture, the the bigger is better culture. The you know the the front leaders. You know the front runners always of, you know capitalism and consumerist culture, and the the sort of epitome of excess of you know desires and appetites and. It, all of that, all that, that perception of America as that place um, can feed into this reductive, uh, this reductive prism through which we view incidents like this, the the various shootings, um, the 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 incident like the one that just happened in Waukesha a few days ago, the Charlottesville attack, the the Black Lives Matter protests and rioting the the you know the, the militia that had, you know that sprung up in response to those protests and we can at this kind of safe at a safe remove where gun culture as the most obvious example isn't something that is 
uh, entrenched in a sort of a constitutionally secure viewpoint and way of life in countries like Australia, Ireland, the UK and others. Um, and so we can kind of go, oh, it's, you know, it, it's crazy. And again, we just keep that kind of safe distance. And I mean, I've spoken about, you know, I've spoken um, before uh, I, I sort of had an episode that I, I tried to explore this idea of, you know, you, you know how we view crazy, how we view mad and the sort of how those terms are so lacking in nuance and so lacking in sophistication and there's sort of a, a get out of jail card that uh, that allows us to not participate in really trying to understand um and so when we you know and and i was i was speaking in the context of of interpersonal relationships and having people in your life who you go ah you know he's mad she's mad i can't be dealing with them and again it's the sort of not nah, it's it's a way of just detaching and distancing um but i think it's relevant when we do that to when we do that to a culture and i mean and on in that along that same line i mean i certainly you know used to get sort of teased let's use that word tease it feels like such a juvenile word but i used to get a bit of you know a bit of slagging a bit of teasing um joking in australia uh, from australians who'd you know make friendly sort of jokes about you know oh the irish you know they're a bit backward or they're you know they're sort of i you know the 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 fundamental joke was one of you know one that related to the irish being perceived as crazy slash stupid um slash you know slash um unique in their thinking in a way that doesn't make sense to anybody else but what you hear as an irish person is all right you're just you're saying i'm stupid you're saying that my culture is stupid now it's meant in a friendly joking way because many many australians i found have you know they've great affection for ireland and the irish and of course many australians have uh irish uh in their in their background in their kind of genealogy you don't have to go back for that far um, certainly you know and when i speak of australia in this way i'm talking about white australia i'm talking about you know the australia that was colonized by the british and the, the the penal colonies and the establishment of australia as a white european colony uh, i'm not talking about indigenous uh, australia that goes back you know thousands and thousands of years earlier than that i don't talk about that because i have no exposure to it and no under, no no um, knowledge base uh, from which to speak um but that thing of being been having the prism of that reductive cultural stereotype put on you which i've experienced over the years uh both in england and in australia um i mean i bristle <laughs> you're like no shit <laughs> i bristle i never cared for it and i'd have to step very carefully um <laughs> lest i you know take someone's head off <laughs> with my reactive kind of how dare you <laughs> <laughs> have a look in the mirror pal but anyway i'm just trying to say you know i get it i'm trying to say it's the the, the the reductive thing is not helpful and looking at these incidents 
whether we kind of go Berlin, Nice, oh, well, they were, you know, fundamentalist uh, Islamic attacks. Or if we look at Waukesha and someone, you know, driving into that Christmas parade, um, the Charlottesville car attack, that guy was, you know, a kind of a politicized white supremacist. Um, and then if you think of also, uh, again, the the... the the incident from last year in Kenosha where that young American guy Kyle Rittenhouse I think he was 17 at the time and there were these riots happening to do again there were riots in response to another uh, African American another black man had been shot by white police and I mean that story just kept on running and it was probably also you know these riots were on the back of the George Floyd killing um, you know, I can't breathe, all of that. But this situation last year in Kenosha, this young guy decided, okay, there's all this stuff happening outside. Uh, there's a lot of anger out there in the streets. There's a lot of social unrest. There's a lot of people out there with guns. People are really fired up. There's a lot of hate and pain and hurt in the air. So as a 17-year-old, my choice is to strap on a military grade semi-automatic weapon and to walk out into the middle of it and the outcome was he shot three people and killed two of them and he just got acquitted from the charges that resulted from that last week um he was found not guilty of uh, manslaughter and the various other charges that were uh, made against him um and his defense was um that he was acting in self-defense. Uh, the people he killed were white, incidentally, if if, if, if that feels relevant. Um, I suppose it is relevant in the context of what was happening. Uh, I was thinking it would be hard, it would be hard to imagine if that had been a black guy walking down the street with that weapon. If, I, I'm, I find it hard to imagine that he wouldn't have either been shot and killed or if he had committed the same crime and killed two other people and shot another, that he would not have been acquitted of the charges brought against him. Um, I don't know if that's I don't know if I'm accurate in thinking that way, but that's my my gut sort of feels like that's what would have happened. Um, I I mean again that that that's another discussion, um, and again not one um, about which I'm equipped to talk with any authority. It just feels really messed up and wrong. And uh, I mean, there's dead people there. And he, that guy is, is walking free. Um, and he made some terrible decisions to, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, look, it's not really, I don't want to get bogged down in the specifics of that case. What I am interested in, though, what I am interested in is if we can agree that each of these incidents that I've I've name checked, if we can agree that these are all extreme actions, these are incidents of extreme behavior, extreme decision making, um, with dire consequences, with deaths um, of, uh, you know. I'm not going to use the word innocent. I mean, I, I don't know how that has no kind of relevance one way or another, I think, in, in this discussion. But it results in the death of other people. Um, 
who hadn't made the same decisions to act in an extreme way in every case, um, in most cases. But I think if you think of these extreme actions and think that they are a response to something very serious in that individual. And so if we think of it like this, if you can picture those office desk toys, the one that has the swinging balls, I don't know what the hell it's called, but you know the one where they click clack. You, you, it's just a little frame and you've got the balls hanging on the frame and you pull one ball back and it clacks into the other and then three balls over, the other ball swings out the other way exactly the same distance. So it's like equal and opposite reaction. Uh, I could have looked that one up to find out what that's called, but I'm, not, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So I was thinking about this and thinking, this person who drove into the, the Christmas parade a few days ago, that what my thinking was, what is the depth of that person's pain? What is the depth of that person's anger? What's the depth of their, their hurt, their, their wound, um, their sense of, I don't know, their, their, their sense of personal injustice, their sense of rejection, their sense of frustration. And I think you have to go to the extreme end of that pain or that wound or that sense of personal crisis to try and make sense of the extreme action at the other end of the spectrum. So basically, if we look at extreme acting out and then we have to swing hard to the opposite axis to identify the extent of the wound, the pain, the anger, the hurt. Um, and th this isn't, this is, this is a bid to, to understand the circumstances that give birth to this kind of uh, behavior, this type of act uh, that has tragic human consequences. It's not necessarily a bid to invite huge empathy for the person or the people who commit these crimes um, that end up killing people. I mean, again, for me, that's, a, that's another area to go into the deeply, deeply, deeply specific personal experience. Um, the, I know, for example, like the Charlottesville car attack, that guy, again, another young guy, uh, was in his mid-20s, I think. He, his father died, I think, around the time he was born or just before he was born. And he just grew up, it seemed, as a very angry young man and was violent towards his mother and... You know, the specific situations can paint a picture that helps us understand a, a level of vulnerability, a level of suggestibility, being susceptible to certain messaging, um, just feeling wronged by life and then choosing to act out. And so much then is about what you're being exposed to. And so much then is also about what services have been made available to help that person um, who has been vulnerable from a very young age. Well, in that case, particularly. Um, so, 
you, you can kind of hear like I'd be more interested in leaning to what are the kind of cultural and you know what are the cultural and social conditions um you know what social and cultural conditions prevail to make an extreme action seem like the only choice and then it becomes a sort of a, a broader discussion of you know of governance of history of of culture of of, of political attitudes of social systems and like social kind of philosophies um and you can see like i feel you can put it into that context and go you know often the people who commit these crimes there's a lot of stuff in the background that goes maybe this person was savable at some point maybe this person could have been set on a different path at some point and that not being saved, that not being put on a certain path, combined with then other cultural, social elements and the availability of, of weapons in this case, um, or, you know, in, in some of these cases, um, and the kind of, I suppose, I don't know, you can, you can add into the conversation when, you know, if, if you're a person who is witnessing and consuming other incidents of this type, other extreme acts, other acts of terror, other extreme actings out of personal rage or personal pain, then it becomes kind of normalized. It becomes normalized. I mean, not every person who acts out in this way to take um, the lives of people who are really uninvolved in your crisis um to just the, to take out random to decide to take out by which i mean to kill to injure to maim to take out people who are not involved directly with your personal crisis that um that is such an extreme extreme position and you, you think even though and so, so like not and not everyone then not everyone is not everyone is massively politicized. Sometimes it's just deeply personal. You know, a deeply personal conflict added to mental unwellness, added to mental health disorder, added to other sort of social and cultural conditions that disenfranchise or deprive uh, one of the, the structures and the support and the, the guidance and the safety net that would otherwise help that person get well. Um, so, I mean, this wouldn't be com- comparable to, say, the guy who committed the, the, the murders at the mosque in New Zealand a couple of years ago, where he had, a, he had a, an entire manifesto laid out, um, which, you know, which was his own sort of personal kind of political vision and sort of a a manifesto that advocated no mixing of the species, so to speak. So not exactly, I, I, I don't know if I, I mean, I, I read some of it. It was on, it was, you know, you could find it online. Uh, and I read 
quite a bit of it to kind of go where was this guy coming from you know what was his what was his mission what was his thinking i don't think i came away i don't think i came away from it thinking he was like a white supremacist but it was more like everyone should look after their own and you know mixing races um and again or not again but i mean i i i know more and more recently we're understanding race very very differently um so understanding race not in terms of you know fundamental biological chemical physical differences but understanding race as something completely artificial and socially constructed to control people um but in in the context of that guy's manifesto it was more you know each you know nation should look after its own and will not you know that was the that was the way to survive you know to keep your own line alive and well and thriving and his reaction then was to focus on uh, focus on you know on muslims in his case and send his message in the most brutal horrifying way um but again i kind of come back to what is it like what is it that that leads people to to take such drastic action in the first place and you know to to you know i you i've already used the phrase acting out and you know typically that that's typically that phrase acting out is used in the context of of parenting in in terms of oh yeah you know my daughter she's acting out uh, i mean and i've i've dropped in a few incidents <laughs> you know in this podcast of when my daughter acts out and you know pushes my buttons and then i kind of go oh, okay this is what it's about um but i suppose my argument is we put this phrase acting out into this much more serious drastic horrifying context of these public atrocities and that is an unhappy person an unhappy person in the society in which they find themselves acting out in the most extreme way and so in that case we can look at this person this extremist or this extremely damaged person extremely angry extremely hurt extremely weaponized and the weapon could be the car it could be the truck the suv it could be a literal weapon a gun whatever but they have been pushed or they have perceived their society or their own situation in such a particular way that they decide to act out in the ways that we that I've listed at the at the top of the episode and if we stick with the parenting analogy you can direct your anger or your sense of revulsion or horror at the individual or at the individuals involved or you can look and go well society if society is the parent or if the government is the parent or if the culture is the parent then that society that government that culture hasn't created the conditions to 
to help that that child so in this case the you know the people perpetuating uh, perpetrating sorry perpetrating these crimes i i'm i'm viewing them as uh, as as a damaged child of of society and and again it's it's not about trying to apportion blame it's not going oh well you know if the state of wisconsin had done this that or the other or if the us government had made these decisions or whatever but it's it's trying to look at the kind of the broader picture and go where can you know where can change be made like where can change be sought and i think this is where leadership comes in and who'd be a leader because i only had to take a a half a beat there to go wow you know what leader steps up and goes i'm going to try and lead us out of this mess lead us out of these dynamics where every other week someone's taking a gun out on the street or getting into their car or being radicalized and it results in the loss of many lives uh children older people whatever uh lives that didn't have to be lost that is a that is a big ask um and to you know to to flip that what happens when when a leader is the radicalized one what happens when the leader is that damaged person um i mean like i was kind of trying to jot down a couple of notes for this and you know i was kind of going well you know hitler hitler took that extreme viewpoint and he basically popularized the the hatred of popularized and legitimized the hatred of jews in his rise to political power and his you know his mission like his his whole kind of philosophy of you know it's it's because of the jews that this is my situation so his position was then to 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 vilify and to demonize uh you know the the jewish power holders as he saw them and to go this is this is what you know these this is what needs to be um rooted out of our society uh, you know these are the people who need to be destroyed and eradicated um and that is you know like that you know that's the extreme example and of course you know it's almost become a taboo like to compare someone to hitler is you know one of the most extreme things you can say and people almost you know as i say it's almost not said because you know no one could ever be as bad as uh you know hitler's the sort of you know the the blueprint the the watermark the he's the standard um by which we measure all other sort of dictators and populist lunatics and uh, icons of hatred and division and racism um but i think it works i think the analogy works that you know if we go ah you know well hitler he was just acting out you know he was just acting out his damage his rage um you know his 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 pathology 
Um, and, you know, if, if, if we go down that road, I'm going to draw a line back to Trump. And I think Trump is a great example of someone who is damaged and was clearly damaged by his upbringing and had a very, um, what am I going to say? He didn't have a great dad. Is that one way to put it? You know, in the most innocuous terms. Um, I think Trump was getting damaged from day one, you know, by being born into that family. And his pathology was shaped. Um, and then he grew up to be this sort of, you know, narcissistic, um, you know, figure, um, you know, verging on, I, I mean, sociopathic is maybe too much, but someone with a evident disregard for for others and the, his sort of, I, I think it's well documented, a sort of a, a historic, um, I feel anyway, I mean, it's my perception, I don't know if I'm, I'm correct about this, but I think his sort of historic sort of racist um, inclinations and certainly um, you, you know you think of the, the you know the young guys in Central Park who were wrongly accused and sentenced for the you know the beating and raping of a, a white New York jogger uh, and went to jail um, that, that that story was brilliantly uh, dealt with in that drama last year oh, again I've gone blank on the name I'll, I'll look it up and come back to you on it but I know around that time I mean, this was in the, the, the 80s and Trump took out that full page ad and was like, yeah, you know, let's bring back the death sentence for these guys. Like Trump has a nose. He has a nose for the fault line. He has a nose for, uh, you know, the, the, the provocative, enraging position. And for me, he always comes down on the wrong side of it. But like that's his way of getting attention, which he thrives on. Like There'd be nothing worse for Trump than to be ignored um but to go back to uh to go back to what i was saying a few moments ago about hitler and the rooting out of the jews and comparing jews to vermin i mean this was this was a sort of an ideology that was um scarily made real in quentin tarantino's uh inglorious bastards where the the nazi officer played by Christoph Waltz was known as the the rat hunter because he had a nose for the rats and the rats being you know the, the Jewish people trying to hide from Nazi persecution and there's that extraordinary opening scene in Inglorious Bastards it's not a movie I care for very much uh, I think there's a lot of not great acting in it um, there's some brilliant sequences and set pieces that opening scene is one of the best things Tarantino has ever done, in my opinion, um, where the, the Germans arrive at this idyllic French farm and the farmer is um, is hiding Jewish people under the floorboards of his house. And he tries to... He tries to kind of uh, negotiate with the the officer or tries to deceive him, but unsuccessfully and ultimately has to give away that, yes, the there are Jewish people hiding under my floorboards. And it, it's a grim, grim, chilling scene. But the 
the you know Christopher Wall's character is referring to them as rats and um, knows he's known as you know the rat hunter. I think I I think I've remembered that correctly. And I'm, rem- I'm mentioning this now because Trump, Trump, uh, just a couple of years ago, he was throwing dirt at a U.S. congressman, and he was referring to Baltimore. And he was basically saying, you know, oh, Baltimore, like, you know, what a dump. You know, no one would want to live there. You know, it's, it's, it's a rat and kind of vermin infested, you know, toilet is fundamentally what he was saying. And there was a, a CNN news anchor, uh, a, a, a black guy by the name of Victor Blackwell. And I think that was, gosh, that was only a couple of years ago. That was like July 2019 um and yeah and trump had been referring to you know the rats and rodents in baltimore and you know it was this it was just this horrible kind of dig at uh, baltimore baltimore so famously um you know so famously kind of rep- or famously or infamously but i think accurately and respectfully represented and portrayed in uh, the wire and you got a good look at you know what you know, certainly, I know, you know David Simon's choice to focus on different communities in Baltimore and the political shenanigans um, and what the police were dealing with and what social workers were dealing with and what uh, educators were dealing with, um, and it was yeah, it was pretty grim. But there were always kind of shoots of of life and decency and integrity and positivity and hope within that because because that's real that's the real situation like any area where there's deprivation any area that's been shut out ignored you know shot upon socially politically economically there are always great people in those communities doing their best trying to do the right thing trying to lift themselves lift the people around them trying to hold on to the dignity that's there to be had in that community and in any case, this this news this newsman on CNN, Victor Blackwell, he was responding to Trump's comments, and he just went into you know you should look it up because it, you know it, it it's, it's stuff that I find that I respond to very strongly because someone is standing up and going this is what I care about this is what I believe this is what's important to me and they're not hiding, and he got emotional and he teared up and he was like you know I'm from there. I was there from childhood to high school, you know, to, you know, to graduation. And there's good people who get up every day and they go to work and they do the right thing and they're good Americans. And it was just like a pushback on, on Trump's, you know, another example of Trump, Trump's reckless, careless, thoughtless rhetoric. Um, I mean, I'm, and you know, maybe, maybe I'm giving Trump too much credit by saying it. You know, it's it's thoughtless. Maybe it was very calculated. Um, he just knew how to kind of push these buttons, but like he did nothing. He has done. He did nothing for social and racial harmony in America in in the time of his presidency. And I I think it's terrifying that he, you know, that he might come back and get reelected. I mean, I hope that doesn't happen. And just to add to that that little piece of narrative, there was another black newsman, also on CNN, and. Um, last year, last year, so whatever, about 18 months after the Victor Blackwell incident, um, a man called Van Jones was 
live on air and he was asked by his colleague uh, Joe Biden had just got elected and you know his colleague was like okay so Van you know what are your thoughts on this you know Biden's in Trump's out and yet again you had this very articulate passionate emotional um, you know black American man who just spoke from the heart and broke down crying uh, I mean broke down is probably an overstatement but like you know was crying you know wiping tears from his eyes as he just you know made a very articulate um kind of you know response to his own sense of relief that trump would be out and that someone who was far more decent in his eyes was coming in and how that was going to be a great a great sort of respite and relief and you know an unburdening for so many people in America over the you know the previous few years of the Trump presidency and he's talking about you know Muslims and people of color and immigrants and you know all the people that Trump had so sort of gleefully you know vilified and demonized and made easy easy targets are made easier he made them easier targets for people uh who were motivated by you know, by by hate, um, it, he made them easier targets for people who wanted to express their hate, who wanted to show their own. I guess, I don't know. Like to to you know, if if that type of hate is an expression of insecurity, if it's an expression of fear, if it's an expression of frustration, Trump was wired. He was wired for that. He was so tuned into that was his frequency. That was and that you know, I feel that led to the Capitol riots. Um, which again saw the loss of life, which again saw people being fired up to act in extreme ways. Um, and I, I said earlier, I said, you know, this is this is about leadership on so many levels. I mean, you can look at the, the whole structural systems and go, oh, well, you know, healthcare could be better. Education could be better. Um you know, the, 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 the means of social integration could be better. Public policy could be better. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's the nightmare of politics. That's the, that's the enormous challenge, the sort of almost unwinnable challenge of, of politics to go in and go, well, I want to make a change. And like, do you know how hard this is to make things happen? Do you know the dance that you have to do? But then my argument is, well, okay, I mean, I, you know, I would never want to go into that world. I'm not cut out for it. Uh, but I, and I admire people who genuinely go in and go, yeah, I think I can affect change. I think I can do some good here. But you do need, on top of that, you need leaders who are out there publicly, visibly, unapologetically trying to lead people to a better place. Um, and Trump is an example of horrendous leadership, in my opinion. Uh, I think hugely divisive, hugely irresponsible. Um, I I believe there was more blood on American streets um, because of him being president. Um, and so, you know, where you know wh- wh- where can we you know where can we find that type of leadership? Where does it start? Now, I don't know. Like I felt in, I have felt in recent years. So let's say the last ten to fifteen years, 
there has been a real lack of confident, outspoken, um, outspoken sort of moral leadership from a lot of politicians who would maybe be a little bit more on you know in the center or lean a little bit more to the left. Uh, lean a little bit more towards kind of socialist positions or socialist democratic positions, uh, people who want to improve, um, you know, public funding, you know, healthcare, education, the obvious ones, um, and people who have been very slow to condemn what I think have been the much noisier voices on the kind of other side of the political spectrum. Um, and I think that has... the, the Those politicians or those leaders or those public figures being quiet has facilitated the the rise of of populism it's facilitated the success and rise of populist leaders and maybe and i think this was true in in america i think there was a sort of a, a political complacency um certainly amongst the democrats and hillary clinton's campaign they didn't take the trump threat seriously and I was like, are you kidding me? You, you know, you, they were sort of mocking him and ridiculing him. Um, and it just doesn't work. I mean, we've just got to take, you know, and, and, and I'm just going to take that as the, if that's the, the model, it, it exposes the flaws of not looking at people with much more nuance and not taking people's unhappiness um, seriously. And not taking not taking people's disenfranchisement more seriously, um, and I think Trump is a great example of someone who felt disenfranchised from the political game, and he felt he wasn't being taken seriously. But that was that was rocket fuel for him. It was rocket fuel for his sense of injustice, and it was rocket fuel for his kind of narcissistic fixation on on settling scores and getting even. And I think he really wanted to to you know to to be the one who who displaced obama you know in insofar as okay obama was at the end of his term but he just came to represent you know the opposite of sort of the, the most attractive aspect of obama's kind of persona and what he represented as an incredibly you know articulate erudite um you know considered leader um, who was trying to do what he could for the larger American public. And Trump came in and he was kind of the antithesis of that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know where, I don't really know where I'm going with this in terms of, you know, what what's the, the pathway for a better leadership. I mean, of course, because I've done a lot of teaching over the years, I kind of think, you know, it, it, it starts in, it does start in, in classrooms um but it's you know it starts at home it starts with the conversations any of us can have with anybody else um where you know perhaps we invite those conversations into our lives where we're looking at things with a bit more thoughtfulness and a bit more generosity and openness to to those people who challenge us to those opinions that challenge us I think the sort of extremely binary nature of what, you know, of what public discourse has become, the sort of zero sum game of you're terrible, you know, you know, you're the bad ones, we're the good ones. 
um you know and again if we stay in america and kind of go the red state blue state divide um the you know the make america great again position and then you know whatever the opposite of that is a sort of a multicultural um multi kind of uh you know tolerant liberal sort of bank the it doesn't work you know one the idea of one cancelling out the other doesn't work and and the cancelling of anybody doesn't work that's not it doesn't take us anywhere it i mean it's the most it, it, it it's a type of denial like the shutout it's like cool we've dealt with that it doesn't exist anymore i mean we have to look at systems we have to look at you know layered approaches you have to look at step-by-step improvements. Um, I was I was looking at an Instagram uh, an Instagram post earlier this morning, and there's a a woman in Louth, which is a that's a county in Ireland, <laughs> a region in Ireland. If you're not an Irish listener, um, just north of Dublin, and there's a a woman there. Um, her name is I need to just refresh my memory. I think it's if I've got it right, it's Laura Barden. B-A-R-D-O-N. And she has a company called sisterhoodjournals.com. Yeah, sisterhoodjournals.com. And her business is she's producing mental health journals. And, okay, aesthetically, they're not really my bag, but, you know, it's the sisterhood. It's not the brotherhood. Uh, so, So that's fine. Um, but she put up a personal post from uh, about a week ago. Yeah, Laura Barden. That's right. L-A-U-R-A-B-A-R-D-O-N. So Laura, uh, she's in Louth and sisterhoodjournals.com. You can go and look at her products there. These, what I think it's actually a great product. It's a, it's a, these are their mental health journals. And so you can kind of jot down your thoughts. There's exercises to do. There's prompts. There's quotes. And she put up a personal post about from about a week ago that I saw this morning. And she was just talking about her own recent mental health journey. And she was saying uh, at the time of writing, she'd just seen, uh, had her first CBT session, a cognitive behavioral therapy session. And she found it useful, but, you know, not fully you know, it, you know, it was just a start, I suppose, is what she was saying. But she'd had to wait seven months to get that appointment um, going through the, the public health system here in Ireland. And her her point of her first point of contact seven months ago, she'd been seen by a psychiatrist, seen by a psychiatrist who gave her a tablet and kind of sent her on her way. And she had presented having not eaten, having not washed she was in an extremely uh, vulnerable state and that was all she got and it was completely inadequate and the point she was making in her post was that you know she wouldn't she probably wouldn't have survived in the interim if she hadn't had the kind of you know tremendous support of her her family and the kind of a close-knit network that helped her you know emerge from that situation intact but like a seven-month lag from I need help to, well, okay, we'll take this tablet and, okay, we'll see what we can do for you. And seven months later, she gets an appointment. Um, she was making the point that a lot of people wouldn't be here after seven months. 
and you know she's you know commenting on her own good fortune to have a good support network but i was reading it and going well there's an example of a system that's failing a system that isn't set up to look after people and that is when we need better leadership that is when we need to set aside political point scoring and short-term vision and go like what do we want what do we want for this country you know what do we want for the vulnerable people in our society are we willing to invest in a long-term vision and you know and that's something that can that that's something that can be applied to the property sector in ireland as well and our whole relationship with land with property with home ownership um again there was something i saw a week or two ago uh is it uh, peter de Pere, um a, a guy who put up a great post just saying the whole history of property ownership is contaminated in ireland by our history with colonialism and not being allowed to own and being dispossessed and then just doing anything you can to kind of look after your own and find your own little patch um, but the whole situation has a, a toxic history which we haven't shaken off so it's a, it's a broken relationship and again you're we're lacking that leadership to to really set out a long-term plan that goes we can actually this can be cracked this can be solved um now again i'm not the guy <laughs> i'm going to solve it by talking about it on my podcast I'm not going to solve it by talking on the podcast, but this is where real leadership matters and real long-term vision. The short-term fixes don't cut it. They don't work. We need to do better. We need to do better in healthcare. We need to do better in mental healthcare. We need to do better in property. We need to do better in education. And it has to it has to come from it has to come from you know leadership there has to be it can't just be tokenism it can't just be a sort of a a cottage industry of individuals trying to do their own thing but i applaud it and i applaud someone like laura barden who's going well i'm doing my bit and she's helping herself and she's helping others by bringing out a product that is designed to put a tool in your hands to help you take care of yourself um, it's not the only solution, as she says in her, um, you know, her literature on her posts. If you need help, you know, seek the help of professionals, find a doctor, find a therapist, find a counsellor. Help is out there and ask for it. And I couldn't agree with her more. Um, so well done, her. And uh, I'll throw a link in in the description of this episode. Um, so, look, I'm kind of coming to the end of my time here today on this particular topic. And I want to drop in a movie that I just watched last night that I think connects really well to this. We're talking about extreme responses to trauma, extreme responses to personal pain. And I watched a brilliant uh, movie last night called The Invitation, which is a 2015 movie directed by Karen Kusama. And it's a very simple, it's a very simple setup. It's a dinner party. That's it. It's a dinner party. And we are, uh, you know, as is often the case with movies, we're invited to kind of identify or see this uh, party through the eyes of the first character or first characters we meet. And it's a man and his partner 
and they're going to the house of his ex-wife and he is clearly a bit of a nervous character he's got a kind of a subdued um nervous kind of way about him and it's clear from this from the start of the movie that it's not a dinner party he's like relishing going to um and it's been a couple of years but he and his ex-wife had a, a certain experience and it's kind of an opportunity to bring the kind of group of friends back together and have a moment to sort of to move on and acknowledge something and it's just a really well told well told tale a really well set up story that you're kind of going uh, uh, I smell a rat something is not right here something's really off and from early on you're just getting that kind of that that ominous feeling in your gut and you know very well chosen moments on the soundtrack just to kind of put us uh, you know to, to not allow us to relax and enjoy what's going on and very well acted the um not a lot of, you know, some faces I knew, only a couple of actors I was able to name. Um, John Carroll Lynch emerges at some point and he's he's immediately, you're going, uh-oh, there's something really off here. He, you might know that actor from um, from David Fincher's Zodiac, where he was, the you know, he was the suspected Zodiac killer and uh, played it very, very well. And he was also in... That movie that Michael Keaton was in a couple of years ago, The Founder, which told the story of McDonald's, um, you know, the fast food franchise. And uh, John Carroll Lynch in that movie played a really likable, sympathetic character. He, he doesn't get to play a lot of those. It's often the opposite. The only other actor I could name from The Invitation was Toby Huss, who um, is playing a sort of a, a charismatic uh, other character who's not in attendance at the dinner party. Um, but that... Yeah, the movie there, it is really about how people deal with their pain. And it's also a bit of a satire of a very dark satire. It's, it's not a that's not a film for kids, by the way. It's it's pretty it's pretty rough. But it's also a bit of a satire I felt of a certain LA kind of gullibility or vulnerability or susceptibility to certain you know, ways of thinking or behaving. Um, so yeah, you know, check it out. It's um, it's not for the the faint-hearted, but it's 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 a really tight, um, kind of tense watch. Um, that actor Toby Huss I just mentioned, he was in. If you're looking for another recommendation, he was in a great uh, series from a few years ago called Halt and Catch Fire which was a depiction of sort of the the emergence of the sort of the computer age in the 80s the emergence of the home computer age and the 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 kind of the race to get um the best kind of computer system out there so they you know they create a sort of a fictional computer company and Toby Huss was in it Lee Pace as a sort of a charismatic Steve Jobs visionary type uh, Scoot McNary um, um, and then a couple of brilliant uh, female characters so for any female listeners to the pod if you want to see some really great strong female characters um, there was a role for Mackenzie Davis and one for Kerry Bichet as different sort of computer heads sort of sort of kind of brilliant um, you know programmers or software people I mean again I'm, I'm running out of the vocabulary and this, this show is an introduction to me or a sort of an explainer for oh, okay I think I understand hardware and software better now 
I did recommend it to a friend of mine who's worked in that sector for years and he was a little bit less enthusiastic about it. But for numpties like me, I was like, ah, I get it. I finally understand. So Halt and Catch Fire. There were four seasons, uh, a lot of good stuff in it. Um, and I don't think it really matters if you're not that interested in computers. Like there's a lot of good personal drama in that as well. And as I said, a couple of great female parts. And then a late appearance in the series by um, Anna Klumski, who you may or may not know that name. She was in that kids movie, My Girl, from years ago with, you know, when um, Macaulay Culkin was, uh, you know, murdering us all with his unstoppable cuteness. It's a little sort of coming of age story. And she plays the <laughs> the My Girl of the title um anyway she turns up as an adult in halt and catch fire and i was like oh yeah that's her anyway there you go okay so look i don't know if i hit all my points but i think there was some stuff there you could get your head around um yeah proportional responses um society and how it fails people um and the need for the need for leadership the need for better pathways to social wellness i suppose anyway i'll i'll work it out i'll uh i'll reverse engineer this episode to borrow a phrase from halt and catch fire and then i'll work out how to describe it in the preamble okay as always thank you so much for listening stay well stay safe stay positive if you can mind yourselves take care all the best good luck bye